This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. As longtime listeners will know, I invested almost a decade of my life living and working in East Africa, leading projects and learning Swahili and learning to live cross-culturally. I learned far more than I ever taught. I received far more than I ever gave. And in the broadest terms possible, the Western world could learn a lot from the Eastern world. All modern cultures are influenced by the East, and this is true from and since biblical times and right up until now. If you want to truly understand the culture, or a culture, literature, art, religion, then it is best viewed from an Eastern mindset. Here is an example and one lesson we should learn quickly in the midst of the pandemic and carry with us afterward. Imze, you do not have to work like this. Please stop. The team that I worked with in building schools and medical clinics said this to me. Imze, please do not sleep in the boat. We are afraid the crocodiles will come and eat you as I settle down into my 17-foot runabout for the night on Lake Victoria. Imze, There are very few of you. Please do not injure yourself as I worked alongside of the men in the village hanging rafters on a school building. Why were they so worried about me? Well, perhaps it was because I was the project leader and if I went down, the work stopped and so did the paydays. True enough, but I think it was a bit deeper. Let me explain. Imze is a word in Swahili attributed to an older man, an elder, if you will, and it traces its origin back to the earliest culture influenced by the Eastern world. The average life expectancy for a male in Uganda when I lived there was 49 years. The average life expectancy for a woman was 52 years. People died young, very young. HIV was rampant, and so to find a person with gray hair was special, and they were esteemed. The East African culture valued the wisdom of their elders, their perspective, and the village lived by their words. Some of you may remember the ancient story referred to as the prodigal son. Well, it isn't really a story about the younger son who ran away. It really is a story about the older son who didn't go after him. But central to the story is the relationship both sons had to their father, the Mze. In the story, the father leaps off his porch and runs to his younger son who has returned. This is interesting for two distinct cultural reasons. One, the Mze never goes to meet people. People come to meet the Mze. Reason number two, the elder ran to his son. Mzes don't run. They walk at their own pace, and no one tells them to speed up or slow down. They are revered. We here in the Western world, the Western part of this world, have a lot to learn about how to treat our elders. Probably not too long ago, you were driving 
got stuck behind a slow-moving vehicle, finally found an opening and shot into the other lane and sped past, looked over and saw an elderly person driving and muttered something not nice about old people driving. We have a lot to learn about how we should esteem, cherish, and honor those who are more than likely not just our elders, but in many cases, they're our betters. Today, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've discovered a gap in service and a population that needs us the way we all used to need them. Our senior citizens are at risk more so than any other population group in this pandemic. So today, we focus on our seniors, why we care, what we are doing to make sure they have food, and how we are helping to keep them safe. Jerry Brisson and Dr. Dawn Opal join me, Dr. Phil Knight, for this edition of Food First Michigan, the only show of its kind anywhere in the U.S. You come back and be with us in just a moment. Welcome to the show, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson, and we are coming to you from some unique strategy technology here. And I'm looking at Jerry on a Zoom call right now, and Jerry, you look pretty great. You know, I feel like we're getting the hang of this. We can't go into the studio, and one piece of equipment at a time, we're eventually going to have everything we need. I think so. We're working at it. So, um... You know, a person who doesn't need any background is Dr. Dawn Opal, our Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives at the Food Bank Council, who's been a guest on the show many times now, uh, but now is a part of our team. And Dawn, we're so happy to welcome you back to Food First Michigan. Well, I am happy to be here as always. Let's let's jump right in. So, Jerry, I'm gonna I want to start with you about this topic about quarantine boxes. Um, where did this concept come? I mean, I know that food banks have a pretty rich history when it comes to boxes, <laughs> but we've evolved a lot over 40 years, and, uh, but we can go back to our roots, too. Well, the idea of it really came from a program that we do with Henry Ford Health Systems called Henry's Groceries for Health, and we started doing that program, oh, about uh, just over two years ago. And in the process, we created different choice boxes for patients who needed food as part of their health sort of treatment in order to be healthier. And from that program, we created a, a mix of things that you can put in a box that you can make a, a number of different recipes out of. And it would be a good variety of food and it would be very healthy food. And so when the pandemic really hit and the schools were closed and we got our strategies ready for the mobile distributions and you know the the families with children and you know that was all kicking off one of the things we talked about early on was you know not everyone's going to be able to leave their house i mean some people are going to be quarantined literally in their house and what are those people going to do for food especially people who are low income and they really can't take advantage of grocery delivery options that other people can. And so we, we again, from the Henry's Groceries for Health idea, um, but slightly different because of the, the food that we have and the, and the food supply, 
um, and during this pandemic, which is a whole nother conversation, we created the quarantine box, and it's really um, 22 meals. Um, it is it is very healthy food. It's a nice variety of food, and it's enough so that uh, people can make it for a while while they're while they're going through quarantine. Um, now, now, depending on a person's situation, they may need all their food, right? A lot of people have some of their food, and that's why the box wasn't necessarily built to provide all of the food that someone would need, but rather supplement the food they already have. But the program actually accounts for that. If people need all the food, they can get a couple boxes of food. So, so the quarantine box was created specifically for this situation that we're going through now. And we figured right from the get-go it would probably benefit seniors right away. And sure enough, within a week of um, you know really starting to respond to the pandemic, we had the first call from a, a senior living center that somebody had tested positive for COVID-19 and everyone was locked down in their apartments or um, you know, units that they're living in. And so the first distribution of 460 quarantine boxes went to that senior living center. Wow. You know, that's a lot of forethought that went into that. Much appreciated. In fact, that quarantine box has spread all the way across the network now, uh, all across Michigan. And it's really the model that uh, a lot of our food banks, if not all of them, are implementing at some level. So, uh, Dawn, let's, let's turn to you because, um, you know, you you've been with us now since the middle of December and you know it was really about research and about the social determinants of health which uh, all those seem to be on steroids during this pandemic but um, you've championed it uh, from the from the very start so tell us that story sure well I think it uh, originates from discussions that we had when we were still in the office before the stay-at-home order we had a team meeting at the Food Bank Council and we started to talk about how we were going to address different populations and different partners to make sure that we had all of our bases covered during COVID-19 and, and also sort of leveraging the networks that we individually had. And I had worked when I was a full-time uh, professor at Michigan State, I had, I had worked on a, a couple of research projects that involved older adults and um, had a really robust network of um, colleagues uh, that, had, uh, that, that really knew the, the players in adult and aging services. And I immediately offered to reach out to say, let's really look at where, uh, where the area offices on aging and where the aging network in the state of Michigan really is with regards to COVID-19 feeding. Because in case um, a listener is not familiar, um, the Aging Network really serves the state of Michigan through the Older Americans Act, which is meant to provide supports for older adults um, at you know different kinds and uh, really serves the 60-plus population um, with services and programs that include Meals on Wheels, but also other kinds of um, counseling support services, evidence-based programs. And I had worked with them, um, particularly in the Upper Peninsula, on a falls prevention program for older adults for two years before I joined the Food Bank Council. So I reached out to all of those colleagues and said, I'm now at the Food Bank Council and you know I'm ready to help um, try to serve as a node to connect um, that network, the aging network with the, uh, with the food network that I'm now um, proudly a part of. 
And that really is what started the conversations across our silos. So normally those two networks of, uh, of folks would not normally talk to one another. Mm -hmm. um, and I think within a week we started um, having calls uh, that started with, uh, uh, you know, a few of us in the mid-Michigan area or were working um, at DHHS in Lansing, and it kind of grew out from there. I'm happy to hear that because I was really scared that you became so burdened about senior citizens because you work with me and Jerry. <laughs> She's still looking for answers to those issues, Phil. Those ones aren't right. solved yet. We're, we're, we're still a problem to be managed, I'm afraid. Well, at well, least it's not our age. That's the problem, you know, so. Not at all. I mean, the factors really line up for this because when the COVID-19 uh, webpage, the state of Michigan's uh, coronavirus site went live, we started to see the, the data, the demographics of who was contracting mm -hmm. the virus, what the rates are. Um, and this was all, so, you know, we had small numbers at that time that I, that we, that I, discuss that conversation at Food Bank Council. But we knew that the rates of folks that were passing away from the coronavirus were much higher above age 60. Right. It's something like 85%. So while they contract the virus at a very small rate, you know, less than, there are less of the, than a quarter of the folks who have contracted COVID-19, but they are 85% of those who pass away from COVID-19 or complications from the virus. So that also also sort of lit a fire under me and I think a lot of others to say the stay-at-home order is especially important for this uh, population of Michiganders. And this is not, you know, this is something that they have, it, it's, you know, the stay at home, stay safe, stay home is important for all of us, but it is particularly important for them because of the way the virus impacts older adults. I want to mention one other thing that's been important in this conversation, and that is any population that's been going to a place where people gather to eat together. And so that's called congregate feeding. That's congregate eating, congregate meals, right? People get together. And for many of the strategies with seniors who are living alone who are, who, or who otherwise don't get enough opportunity for social contact, those centers where people would gather to eat were a big part of their life and a big part of the joy that they would experience on a day-in, day-out basis. Not one of those is open right now. Not one. And obviously, it's because it's part of the containment uh, strategy. And so, you know, these, these boxes of food that seniors are getting, um, in part they're getting because they can't get those other meals the way they used to get them before. And so one of the things that we're really concerned about while we're providing food is providing that social contact and providing people someone to talk to for a minute and someone to share their woes with. And I mean, uh, you know, while we don't take on that whole responsibility, we do see these these food delivery programs as multidimensional in terms of how they're really helping seniors cope with their situation. I think also the beauty of the partnership of this program with DHHS is because they're doing they're doing an intake call where they identify the best programs and services for folks who call who would like to participate in our program. And as a part of that, they're offering friendly reassurance calls, which means that 
um, you know, the the kind of um, conversation, social interaction, um, you know, just making sure that everything's okay there um, is much more than the food. And I think that, um, you know, for a lot of folks, that call and those subsequent friendly reassurance calls are as important as, as the food itself. But it's really a part of the, the program. It's sort of built in that when someone uh, fills out that, um, that request form, that they get a call from someone from the area agencies on aging to have a discussion about what would be best for them. Um, and, and, and that may include um, subsequent friendly reassurance calls, too. So I absolutely agree with you, Jerry. Um, the, you know, the, the difficulty is this balance with the no touch, no physical contact, you know, no, you know, door drop, which is necessary to keep everyone safe in this in during the pandemic. But you're right, we have to find, um, we have to be really creative in the design of our programs right now. And I've talked to a lot of people about that, that this is a real time of innovation for us, I think as food bankers and also um, for those who do food and nutrition programs in general, that we're balancing public health issues with issues of social isolation and also food insecurity. So this is a complicated time where we have to really get creative and our traditional structures um, are not really serving us in the way that we would hope um, with a lot of programs that come from the state, come from, you know, from nonprofit organ organizations and others. So this is really a time of design and innovation, I think. Well, we want to keep talking about that on the other side of this break. Uh, what are some of the innovations and are we meeting the needs for some of our most vulnerable uh, populations in the state? And that's our senior citizens. He's Jerry Brisson. That's Dr. Dawn Opal. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. You're listening to Food First Michigan, and we're back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back here on Food First Michigan. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Dawn Opal. I'm looking at them on a muted Zoom call, and we are um, uh, somehow connecting all together with our esteemed producer, Mark Blackwell, at the home of our show, WJR in Detroit. So, uh, guys, we're talking about uh, the work that we put together to address a very specific population, and that's our senior citizens. And even a more, um, a bit of a narrow part of the senior population, and while everybody should stay safe and stay home, uh, it's particularly important for seniors to do that. But then there's a part of the senior population that, that really needs our help, and, um, and you guys have divined a, a way in order to, um, to literally take a, a quarantine box from the warehouse to the doorstep. So, um, Dawn, tell us a little bit about how that process works, start to finish, and uh, and Jerry, um, tell us how hard it was for uh, for you guys to work with us to make that happen. Because I know we're very difficult to work with sometimes. Sure. Well, I think that this is a, a true collaborative effort because there's no one organization that could do all of the components that take a box from a warehouse to any point and doorstep in the state. Uh, so in order to have that kind of scope, uh, we worked in conjunction with uh, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, Adult and Aging Services, and their AAA or Area Offices on Aging Network, of which they have 16 offices across the state. 
And uh, the process really is that uh, for, for the initial 10,000 boxes of quarantine boxes that are um, about to be delivered next week, um, what will happen is that uh, they were assigned uh, to different areas of the state based on need um, and based on where they saw um, the intake surveys going and a, and a, ca a decision calculus that also included COVID-19 and other um, and socioeconomic demographic status um, in those areas. From there, um, those boxes um, were transported in a few different ways, um, but the Food Bank Council of Michigan um, routed those to those 16 area offices on aging or um, a proxy site that they had determined um, in advance to do a distribution um, from there, the AAAs are doing different things in each region in order to move it that last mile. So it looks a little different depending on what region in which you live. Some of them mm -hmm. are using volunteer, um, are using large volunteer sources to do um, to do home delivery. In some areas where there's higher density need, they're doing what looks a little bit more like a drive-through distribution, like our food banks um, are doing for COVID-19. Um, more typically, but the area agencies on aging are doing those. So, um, so it, it kind of depends on what their own um, population and what their own um, needs are looking like next week, and that most likely will change again. But it's been um, it's been really helpful to learn about what each region in the state, you know, just depending on if it's rural, urban, how far apart these are, um, all of those kind of factor into that last mile delivery. And if I recall, wasn't the Michigan Community Service Commission involved in getting some of those volunteers and setting up a website? And I mean, there was a, there was a number of people at, at the state that really helped a lot as we were putting together. How do we connect all the dots? That's right. Just, just Jenna Holmes, who is the director of the uh, Michigan Community Service Commission. And uh, you're right. They stood up a website that would attract volunteers. Um, you know, which is one of the difficult things to navigate in the midst of a pandemic because we have a stay home order, but then we really needed a call out for people to come and do some very specific volunteer work. So it's, it's a lot of nuance going on there. And uh, it's pretty exciting that you guys have been able to build a program all the way across um, the spectrum, public-private partnerships, uh, from from warehouse to doorstep, so to speak. Um, but Jerry, early on, there was a we were we were concerned that we would have enough food to be able to to meet the order for ten thousand boxes. Um, but you know, it's amazing that how things arrive when you need it. Well, that is the truth. And talk about just in time. We, you know, at, at the beginning of April, um, which, you know, seems like eight months ago, and it's only two weeks ago, I swear to God. But at the beginning of April, we were going, okay, we're going to run out of food in two weeks. Now what are we going to do? And we were looking at, do we do grocery vouchers or, or how are we going to get through this? But but uh, people have stepped up in a lot of ways. And, and many of our the wholesalers that we work with, as well as the growers, as well as some of the retailers, and of course now most recently, the state of Michigan really stepping up to help us uh, navigate the food supply chain in this really unusual time. We talked last week about how there's a food supply chain for the restaurant industry, and there's a whole other food supply chain for grocery. And they don't 
they don't connect very well to each other because the packaging rules are different, the labeling rules are different, what people want to take home versus what you need when you're making a thousand meals at a time in a in a, a catering kind of setting, completely different size packages um, where, you know, it's uh, it's not so easy just to take the food from one and, and make it work in the other. And so, you know, the food supply is is something that a lot of people had to step up and help really solve and and press things and move things around in order so that we could serve the community in this way. So there's a website, right, Dawn, that people can go to if they want to help, particularly with senior citizens and their quarantine boxes. Could you give that to us really quick? And then we're going to take a we'll take a break and come back. Well, sure. Well, if they would like to help with a financial donation, a $28 pays for one box, and they can access our virtual food drive at michiganfooddrive.org. And then they can also, um, if they're interested in volunteering um, or interested in more information about the program itself, you can find that information on uh, michigan.gov forward slash coronavirus. Um, and there are a couple of different ways to, to access. There's a volunteer page that is connected to that coronavirus page. And then there's also a couple of different ways to access help um, through that website. There's a hotline uh, for COVID-19 um, that, that you can reach. And just in case you don't have internet access, I can give that to you too. Um, so that phone number is 888-535-6136. And then you can also find the intake form uh, for services from uh, DHHS Adult and Aging Services there. Jerry, Dawn, I'm Dr. Phil. Y'all know who you are. Come back and be with us, everybody. We're going to be right here. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Dawn Opal here. We're talking about quarantine boxes in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic that's designed specifically for senior citizens. Guys, I want to read you a quote here. It's from a very close friend of ours. Her name is Paula Cunningham. She is the CEO for uh, AARP here in Michigan. Paula's been a dynamic leader both in the business community as well as now in the nonprofit and so I asked her, told her we were going to do the topic today on the show and ask her. She said, for over 60 years, AARP has been working to promote the health and well-being of older Americans. This is a stressful time for our environment. Families are worried about their safety, their finances, and their future. But no one should have to worry about their next meal. We stand beside our partner organizations, like the Food Bank Council of Michigan, and others that are addressing hunger and isolation. We stand beside our commitment to older adults to be a wise friend and a fierce defender on the issues that impact them the most. Paula Cunningham, the CEO for AARP, and really was a catalyst, Dawn, for us being able to have the right conversations at the right time with the right people to get the senior quarantine box um, program up and running. Absolutely. I mean, this is a real uh, testament to a cross-sector partnership um, that 
required a number of stakeholders to come together. And which is very exciting to me, as as you know, and as those who have heard me on the show before working in healthcare partnerships, it really does require uh, folks to to not work in a vacuum, but to come out and reach across um, and outside of their silos and work together. And this really, we had foundations involved, we had volunteer service organizations, we had not you know community-based organizations, the state, um, local government. I mean, it's really been um, a testament to successful collaboration for a cause that we all believe in. And you know, the you know, more people we work with, the more bright ideas we get. I mean, you know, I, just on this show, I heard decision calculus. Phil, you and I would not have said decision calculus. We wouldn't have never said that. <laughs> you know why? We're not smart enough. But we have smart, smart people who work with us now who say, you have to have a decision calculus. I'm just saying. So when we get, when we get all these great people together, people who bring whole new perspectives that food banking never had to have before, that's how we solve these problems on the ground. And we're, we're taking good notes, too. Because these solutions are going to be solutions for the future. When we talk about we can create a hunger-free community, some of our learnings from this, how do we serve seniors specifically during this pandemic, are going to be the same ideas that create a hunger-free reality for seniors for the long term. All these innovations, all these partnerships, people who realize they can trust each other, they can work together. It's not about who's going to get the most money or even who's going to get credit. It's about who can reach people that need the food and all the good that that brings to our community. It's been a wonderful experience to work with AARP and the state of Michigan and the area agencies on aging. I mean, and we're just starting to learn what we can do together. And I'm really enthused about, you know, there's even more coming as we learn the capacity that each organization brings to create real solutions and effective inexpensive, I mean, all the things you need for sustainable programming. Well, I think what we're learning in the midst of the pandemic can certainly translate to a greater and better reality outside the pandemic. When we get back under blue skies, so to speak, and we're not under this, uh, this storm of COVID-19, there's a lot of things that we can learn about seniors, but about other populations we're serving as well and how we can take lessons learned inside this COVID-19 experience and apply them to make the, the, the programs and the policies better for the people they're designed to serve. I'm looking forward to that day, that's for sure. I agree with what you're saying in that one of the things that I, one lesson learned that I think we have, that we are learning with COVID-19 is that we're trying at the speed of light to create programs with multiple stakeholders um, because we all we all believe in the importance of the public health crisis and we know that we can do this quickly now and that's something that i think should carry carry with us after covid 19 is over that we traditionally hold up our infrastructures as barriers to being able to work together and what we've learned in the last few weeks is that we can break those down and design new ones together and so so my hope very much for the future is that we can take these new partnerships and new structures and run with them to do more for more people in Michigan. I love I that. And well I said. think, yep, very well said. And I think that's what's happening with food banks and healthcare. And I think we're going to see more, even in the pandemic coming up, 
with creative solutions for people that are coming out of healthcare, needing to be quarantined and don't have any food at home. What are we going to do with that? I know there's some things happening already. It'll be a topic for a future show, but, but I think the work that we've done with seniors um, across the state has been phenomenal. And I, I also want to say, you know, even the food banks being able to work together in the way we have. I mean, uh, Dr. Phil, you and your team have really helped all of us learn how to break down barriers, work together, not be concerned about, you know, who's getting what from where. We're all getting what we need um, from the Food Bank Council and through your efforts so that we can spend our time crafting solutions rather than worrying about who's getting what. Well, I appreciate that, Jerry. That's that that's a great lesson for us as we look at the larger picture of trying to create a blueprint to solve hunger and go to the next level of food security across the state. So we're going to take all these lessons and apply them when we get out from under this mess that we're all in. But in the meantime, we're going to stay home, we're going to stay safe, and you're going to stay right there because Jerry and Dawn are back with me in just a moment, and we'll wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. So we're back here for Food First Michigan. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Don Opal. Um, kind of cool seeing you guys on Zoom for this show. I mean, it's not like we're not on Zoom calls all the time together anyway, but but it is cool to see you guys. And I thank you, Dawn, for being here to talk about this project. I want to just uh, maybe tie it a little bit back here at the end of the show to all the way back to the monologue. And um, really, you know, a little bit um, deeper thought here for us about not just this quarantine project, but really what it means. And for me, I think it really means that we're, that we're esteeming the folks in our society that we should. I think I remember reading some time ago that, you know, one of the great hallmarks of a great society is that they take care of their seniors. So what's your thoughts there? Yes, I would say that one of the things that's really important about uh, this project, and I think uh, speaks to uh, concerns and, and, and worries that we have about older adults as regards to hunger, but also other sources of support, is that we often believe that, um, that we'll take care of that within our own you know, family unit, and that the community mm -hmm. um, doesn't really have a role to play. And I think that COVID-19 has really shown us that, especially with social distancing and concerns about multi-generational families um, being able to support one another when they live in different homes, that this is really a moment where the community really can come together to do something very visible that I think stays largely invisible much of the time. Um, and I've really thought about that while we're putting together, you know, who's going to drive this box from Pontiac, Michigan to Escanaba, Michigan, that, you know, that it takes a whole community of, uh, of stakeholders to put that together and that that is really meaningful for all of us. So my hope is that after this is over, we'll continue to think about what role the community plays in, um, in caregiving and just the importance of caregiving more broadly um, in our in our communities. That's awesome. You know, I I like that we're talking about a population that people don't often think about when they say we're going to help hungry people. You know, in so many cases, people think, oh, those are the homeless folks, 
And and it, the while there are homeless people who are hungry, and there's certainly efforts to to work with them and make sure they're well cared for, there are so many seniors who who aren't homeless, but who are struggling mm-hmm. with mobility and are struggling with healthcare issues and are on a fixed income and need extra help in order to to make ends meet. And this work that we're doing for that group of people and talking about it and letting people know, hey, this is part of our work. I think it's so critical to keep reminding everyone there's a lot of different faces of hunger, and one of those faces looks a lot like your grandma. Time for a little food for thought. If you respect your elders, you will learn to become a better listener than talker. It's been said that youth is wasted on the young, or how many of us have thought, wow, I wish I knew then what I know now, that I didn't know then. Well, things would have been very different for a lot of us. The proverb says that life is meant to be lived forward, but understood backwards. The variable in that formula are our elders, the MZAs of our families, societies, faiths, and even our nation. Listening to the wisdom of someone who has lived their life offers us the opportunity to grasp wisdom and use the hard lessons life taught them to make our own lives better. George Santanyana said, Those who do not understand history are condemned to repeat it. But in this case, in the case of our elders, if we take care of them, honor them, and if we listen to them, we will have the opportunity to repeat history, because some things in history are worthy of repeating. Honoring our elders by protecting them in the midst of this pandemic so we preserve their wisdom among us seems like the best, most right thing that we can do right now. Thanks for listening, and until next week, remember, whether we are in a pandemic or not, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.